Well, good afternoon, everyone. It's another beautiful Sunday. It's the Lord's Day. God is good. Why don't we open with a prayer? Father, we thank you for another beautiful day outside. It's another day of life that we can enjoy what you've given us. Father, most of all, we thank you for Jesus, your son, who obeyed you and went to the cross, and he died for us, for our sins. Jesus, thank you for taking away the wrath that is due us because we are sinners before your kingdom, before your throne. And also, Lord, thank you for your Holy Spirit that it is here with us today, that as a Christian, our body becomes the temple of the Holy Ghost and you even indwell us. Father, that your Holy Spirit would bind any evil that might be in the room that would take away from the glory of your word. And also, Lord, that you would protect my tongue that I would only say things about this message today that are from your word. Lord, that the truth of your word would be manifest. And Lord, that we can better understand you and our faith would be increased by looking into your word today. We ask all of this in your name, Jesus. We love you, our own one true God. Amen. The title for today's message is the parable of the rich fool. Jesus spoke many parables, and also one of the major themes of the New Testament is his discussions about money. This parable of the rich fool deals with man's focus upon money and riches. In God's economy, in God's kingdom, money is a currency that we use through life. But really it has no value, no intrinsic eternal value as far as bringing us closer to the Lord or increasing his glory in our life. God speaks on this subject specifically here. The text verses for today's message is the book of Luke, chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Let's read those verses. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother, that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then... Who shall all those things be which thou hast provided? So is he 
that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. If you look at the first page of your handout, you see there's a quote from C.H. Spurgeon. And this quote reads, The more of heaven there is in our lives, the less of earth we shall covet. And that is really a basic truth from this message that we're looking into today. The more of heaven that we put into our life, the more of God's word that we put into our mind, and we let that live in our heart, the less we will covet the things of the world, the less we will want and desire big houses, cars, boats, and fancy vacations. And really, that is a sin to put those things as a priority over God in our life. They become idols that trip us up in our walk with the Lord. Let's look at the handout and the points that we're going to discuss today. There are four short points. The first point is Jesus will judge all things from a spiritual perspective. Most people in life, they live for the physical. They want comfort and good health. And yet Jesus really doesn't put an emphasis on that. He puts an emphasis on spiritual things, eternal things. The second point today is that Covetousness and greed are great sins before God. In fact, the Bible says covetousness is idolatry, and that's breaking one of the Lord's Ten Commandments. The third point today, and this is actually a portion of a scripture, the love of money is the root of all evil. Do you notice this verse does not say money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money. Money has its purpose as a currency to facilitate the things that we do. But love of money puts money on a pedestal that actually gets in the way of our walk with the Lord. The fourth point today is a fool trusts in his wealth and not in God's salvation. And really, that's the point of this lesson today. God calls the rich man in the parable who was putting all of his effort and energy into his worldly wealth, God called him a fool. Because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And all the riches that we lay up in this life, on this side of eternity, somebody else will get them. It is better for us to serve the Lord and store up riches in eternity once we go through the portal of death and we leave the dispensation of time and we start to go and walk in eternity. It's much better to have the riches that God has for us on the other side than the riches that we have in this world today. Point number one, Jesus will judge all things from a spiritual perspective. So the setting here for Luke chapter 12 is Jesus is preaching. There are many people listening. And there's a man who gets Jesus' attention. And he says, will you talk to my brother about sharing his inheritance with me? So let's look at Luke 12, 13 again. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. The Jewish law said that 
the oldest son in the family, he got a double portion. So, for example, let's say the older brother and this brother, there was only two in the family. And let's say this man had $100,000 to share as an inheritance. The older brother would get two shares, or $67,000. The younger brother would only get one share, or $33,000. And he's saying to Jesus, will you talk to my brother so that I can get some of the other 50%? Deuteronomy chapter 21:17 spells out in the Jewish law why the older brother gets a double portion. And this addresses the issue. Many men in the Old Testament, they had multiple wives. We know that King Saul did, King David did. Solomon is known for his many wives. And the Jewish law, which was all the way back to Moses' time, it addressed the issue. Because many times a man will love one wife more than another wife. And the children of the one who's not loved as much, they could be shortchanged when the inheritance is divided. So Moses addressed this issue in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 17, when he wrote, But he shall be acknowledged, the son of the hated, for the firstborn. So if the son of the wife who is not loved as much becomes the firstborn, by giving him a double portion of all that he has, for he is the beginning of his strength, the right of the firstborn is his. So that's where the issue of the firstborn getting a double portion starts all the way back with Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. Jeremiah 17.10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart. Now see, this man that came to Jesus and said, can you tell my brother to give me some more money? His issue was that his heart was focused on worldly money, worldly things. And Jeremiah addresses this. It says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. God's focus is not upon this man getting 50% of that inheritance. God's focus is upon giving this man the fruit of his doings. If his focus is upon money, material things, he will not have much in the kingdom of heaven. But if his focus is upon serving the Lord, he will be rich in the eternal kingdom. Matthew 6, 19 and 20 further defines this. It says, Lay not up for yourselves treasure upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do break through and steal. So in heaven... Thieves cannot break through and steal your rewards. They are safe with the Lord. How many of you, many, many years ago, perhaps for a wedding present, you received maybe sterling silver or some precious jewelry or wood, some fancy things, maybe cut glass. And over the years, that jewelry started to darken and fade. The cut glass, maybe you chipped it. Or that sterling silver, if you don't attend to it, it will get pits and markings in it. And the value over time can degrade. That is what happens to all the things that we store up on earth. Moth and rust will destroy it. 
But nothing can harm the eternal rewards God has for us. Matthew 6.21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So that's begging the question, where is our heart focused upon? Is it upon money and wealth? Or is it upon God's gospel and sharing the good news of his kingdom? Luke 12.14 Here is Jesus further addressing this man. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? This is a very interesting question because Jesus is the judge. And yet he's saying to this man, Who made me a judge over you? There is no issue here when we look at it from a material point of view and from a spiritual point of view. Jesus is not focused upon the material point of view. He is always focused upon the spiritual and its ramifications. Remember the man who wanted to follow Jesus? And he said, well, I need to go bury my father. And Jesus in Luke 9:60 says, let the dead bury their dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. In God's economy, worldly things have very little value. And he's saying, from a world's point of view, let the dead bury the dead. It's much more important for you to go forth and look what it says. Preach the kingdom of God. We need to share the good news with as many people as we can reach. John 6, 15. This is after Jesus had fed thousands of people. There were many men and the wives and thousands of children. He fed all of them from the loaves and the fishes. Now these people, they enjoyed that meal. And the leaders got together with themselves and they said, you know what we need to do? We need to go get Jesus and make him our king. Maybe he doesn't want to do that, but let's make him king anyway. Because he is our meal ticket. When we're hungry, he can feed us. Perhaps we don't even have to work. We can just have him feed us every day. Now, Jesus did not want to be their king to feed them fishes and loaves. He wanted to be king of their hearts. And in the spirit realm, they had to look upon him as God to be saved. Let's look at John 6:15 as Jesus addresses this issue. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, not the king, a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. Jesus wanted no part of being a king. There are many kings. But remember, the Bible says Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And unless we submit to his deity, he will never be our king. 1 John 4:14. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. This is the reason Jesus came to the earth. He didn't come to judge worldly things. He didn't come to be a king to feed the hungry. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone 
may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. 2 Corinthians is bringing back the reality that everything we do in the body, we have to stand before King Jesus and give an account. Everything we do. And that's why we want to serve the Lord for his kingdom. Because everything that we do in the flesh is wood, hay, and stubble and is going to burn up at the judgment seat and there will be no rewards for that. But everything we do for his kingdom has eternal reward. The second point today, covetousness and greed are great sins before God. Luke 12, 15. So now Jesus is no longer addressing this man who wants him to talk to his brother about getting more of the inheritance. Now he's saying unto them, he's talking to all of the group, and he says, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Do you notice he says, take heed, pay attention, listen up. When you're raising your children and you need to share something that's very important, you say, listen up. Well, God is saying, take heed and beware of covetousness. Beware of this sin of idolatry. And he also says, life consists more than just the things which you possess. Look at Genesis 2-7. This goes all the way back to creation. All the way back to when God brought Adam into existence. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. It doesn't say he became a living body. You see, the body's going to die and go in the grave. But the soul is eternal. And we see this from Ecclesiastes 12.7. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. And the Spirit is alive when you're born again, but it's dead if you go into eternity never saved. And see, Jesus is the author of all life, all men, have to give it a count. All life comes from God. And God says this body is going to get old and die and go in the grave. And we all in this room understand that. We have many friends who have passed. We also have to visit the doctor on a regular basis. Our bodies are getting old. But God says there's an eternal reward much better on the other side for us Christians everyone's spirit will return unto the God our Jesus, our Lord Jehovah who gave it. Exodus 20 verse 17. This is the 10th commandment that Moses gave to the Israelites and it addresses this issue of covetousness and why it is a great sin before the Lord. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. 
When we look at that commandment today, we think, wow, that's really old. It doesn't apply to me. I don't have livestock. But you know what? The lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life is still in each one of us. And we can get caught up in covetousness by looking at what other people have and thinking in our mind and our heart, woe is me that I don't have that. And yet, does God know everything that's in our life? Of course he does. Does God allow everything that happens to us in our life? Yes. Everything that comes into our life has to filter through the fingers of God before it can address and come into our life. God knows everything. And the situations he puts us in, he's also very aware of the situations that we're in. Colossians 3.5, this is addressing this sin of covetousness. Mortify. Mortify means kill. We get our term mortician from that. They deal with dead things. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness is putting something above God because idolatry is having a false God in your life. God doesn't want us to have any false idols that are paramount, that supersede, that we put in place of his glory. The third point today, the love of money is the root of all evil. Luke 12, 16. Now Jesus, speaking to this great crowd, he starts to talk to them in a parable. Now the thing about a parable is it typically has one very simple truth. If we remember the parable we went over last week of the laborers, the simple truth was that we can be saved when we're 7 or 77, and people should not grumble about somebody who gets saved late in life. Because salvation is for any Christian. The truth of this parable is about money and the riches. If we hang on to that and make it our idol, God calls us a fool. Now, he addresses the parable. And Jesus spoke a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. So here he's bringing into focus a rich farmer. Now, this rich farmer, from the world's point of view, was very successful. He had a rich farm that brought forth plentifully. So he had much fruit from his grounds. From a world's point of view, we would say this was a very successful farmer. But from God's point of view, he's using this man as an example to point out that he is really a fool. This is a psalm of Asa. Psalm 73, verses 1 and 2. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. Asaph was one of the choir leaders for King David. And he wrote 12 of the Psalms. And this is one of the psalms that he wrote, Psalm 73. And what he's doing is he's saying, I made a mistake in my life because I had my focus on the rich people. And he said, this almost 
cause me to slip into sin, into covetousness. And indeed, the Bible says, the wicked, their feet will slip in due time. And in the spirit world, it's a picture of these people sliding into hell. But Asaph is telling us, he's warning us. In Psalm 73, verse 3 and 4, the next two verses, he says, For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. So he's looking at some of these rich people, and they're living long lives, and they're not getting sick. They're not having many of the problems that the Christians were having, that the children of God were having. And it says, there were no bands in their death. They were not tied down by the discomforts of old age. But God doesn't just give good long lives to Christians. See, his grace is to the wicked and to the good. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Matthew 5.45 addresses this. That you may be the children of your Father, which is in heaven. For he makes his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Luke 12.17. Jesus is continuing this parable about this rich man. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. Many people today, they have houses with three and four car garages. And then they build additional garages. And then they rent storage facilities. They have so many goods that they really don't know where to put them. This was the situation with this farmer. He had so many goods, he didn't know where to put them. Matthew chapter 6, 33 says, but seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. God is saying, don't put your primarily focus on worldly things. Put it on him, on his kingdom. And then all the things that you need in life, he will supply them. All these things shall be added unto you. Now Luke 6.38 says, Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you give, it shall be measured to you again. And this is a picture of a bushel basket. It's filled up, and then it's shaken a little bit, so it settles. And then it's added to, and then it's overflowing. And God is saying, this is the abundance that I will give to you. Given it shall be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. That's how God will give if you make his kingdom first. And you might think, well, I've never received those riches, but I've given to him 20, 30, 50, 70 years of my life. But remember, his rewards are primarily eternal. And we can never put a value on the eternal rewards God has waiting for us. 2 Corinthians 9.7 says, Every man, according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, 
not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So God says, whatever you purpose in your heart, give it with cheer, with joy. Don't give it grudgingly. Don't feel like this is a burden that I have to give of my time and my resources. God doesn't want that kind of a gift because really it's not a gift. Then it's almost like a burden that we're giving because we don't want to give our money away. God says, for God loves a cheerful giver. Luke 12:18. This is the rich man talking in the parable. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. So he's going to tear down his existing barns, barns, multiple, and he's going to build greater storehouses. This man has much wealth. And he says, I will bestow all my fruits. Fruits are the works of his vineyards and his orchards and all his goods. He had many, many goods. He was rich in material possessions. And he was going to store them all up in this centralized area. From the world's point of view, this man was wise. He was rich. And we typically look up to rich people. But God does not say that that person is wise. He's a fool. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 29 and 30. For they that hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. See, the fear of God is a choice. And did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel, and they despised all my reproof. When the Lord speaks to us, and he talks to every one of us, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. We're brought to a decision point. Am I going to listen and yield to the Holy Spirit and fear the Lord and submit? Or will I continue in my own selfish way? Really, that's the decision we all have in life. Proverbs chapter 1, 31 and 32, the next two verses. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, shall kill them, shall send their souls into hell. And the prosperity of the fools shall destroy them. As these people accumulate wealth and riches, the more that they have, the more distant they become from God. Because they're relying upon their money and their wealth to take care of all of the issues in life. And for the most part, money solves problems. If you have something wrong, you can hire somebody to fix it. Except your soul. You cannot hire anybody to fix the sin in your life. That has to be addressed between you and our God, Jesus. James 4.15 For that we ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. The rich man never thought about what is God's will for my life. Should I build these new barns because God wants me to do it? No, he was doing it in his own decision and in his own strength. And James says everything that we should do, we should bring it to God 
and say, Lord, is this your will for my life? Let me read that verse again, James 4.15. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. We need to check with the Lord on all of the things that we do. Not just the big things about buying a house or who we marry or what kind of a job and career we go into. The little things. It's so much easier to get insights from the Lord when we stay close to him and try to walk in the will that, and the preordained path that he has for us. Luke 12, 19. Again, Jesus continuing with the parable about this rich man. And the rich man said, I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. So many people in America today, we want to have a huge 401k. And we dream about retiring at the age of 50 and moving someplace nice, maybe Florida. And then what? Play golf every day? John Piper is a famous preacher living in Minnesota, and he has a sermon that addresses people when they retire. And he gave the example, there was a couple who, once they retired in Florida, they went out and collected seashells. How much reward will they have in the kingdom for their seashells? At the judgment day, they will say, Lord, look at all the seashells we collected. Is God going to be impressed with that? No. He's going to want us to say, Lord, look at how we tried to serve you because you are king and Lord of lords. Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. There is that scattereth and yet increaseth. And there is that withholdeth more than is meet or proper. But it tendeth to poverty. The liberal soul shall be made fat. And he that watereth shall be watered also himself. So do you see what God is saying here? If you try to hold the blessings in your hand, nothing will come of that. But the liberal soul, the one who gives, given it shall be given unto you. The liberal soul shall be made fat. And now that's not talking about your body gaining weight. That's talking about in eternity. You will have rich rewards from God's power and his kingdom and his throne. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 4 and 5. Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. These two verses from Proverbs, they're saying, labor not to be rich. Don't work your whole life for money. Because this money will fly away from you. It will be like an eagle flying away toward heaven. And who can grab or catch that eagle once it takes flight? None of us. And so it is with money. Eventually, we're all going to pass. And then the question is, what becomes of all of that money? Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Our heart will say, yes, I want that new car or that fancy dress or some new jewelry. Our heart is deceitful. It's lying to us. It's a liar above all things. Because most of us 
want to take care of ourselves first. I mean, that's human nature. And God says our heart is desperately wicked. It's trying to live out wickedness. And then he goes on to say in this verse, who can know it? See, many times we can convince ourselves that we need this or that, or that we can get away with a sin with God, because our heart is desperately wicked. And we can't even know our own part, but God does. He knows the heart and he tries our reins, the very essence of our life. James 4.14 Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. James is warning us. He says we don't know what will happen tomorrow. There are many people who will die today in an accident or perhaps a heart attack. The fourth point today, this will be the last point, a fool trusts in his wealth and not God's salvation. See, the fool, he's trusting in his money to take care of all of his problems, but he's not trusting in God's salvation with his eternal soul. Luke 12.20. Now this is God speaking to this rich fool. But God said unto him, Thou fool. He's calling him directly a fool. Thou fool. This night, tonight, your soul shall be required of you. Then who shall all these things be which thou hast provided? God says, You're a fool for relying upon your money. Because tonight, I'm going to bring you before the throne. Tonight, you're going to pass from life into eternity. Now, who's going to get all your barns? Who's going to get all your food, all your money, all your possessions? Because you can't take anything with you. Ecclesiastes 2, 18 and 19. Remember, the book of Ecclesiastes was written by King Solomon. He wrote Proverbs, which is all about wisdom. He wrote Song of Solomon, which is all about love. And he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, which is all about vanity. He was an expert in all three areas. Look what he has to say about working to have possessions. Yea, I hated all my labor, which I had taken under the sun, because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. And who knows whether he shall be a wise man or a fool. Yet shall he rule over all my labor wherein I have labored, and wherein I have showed myself wise under the sun. This is also vanity. This is also emptiness. So Solomon's son came onto the throne. His name was Rehoboam, and indeed he was a fool. And it wasn't long after Solomon's death and the kingdom was divided. The ten northern tribes went with Jeroboam. Solomon is lamenting at the end of his life, all of these riches are going to pass on. And it's all vanity. And everybody who has an estate, they don't know if their children are going to use those assets wisely or foolishly. And yet it took their whole life of work to accumulate. It's kind of a sad way to look at it. And that's why Solomon calls all of this vanity. 
He goes on to say in chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes, verse 15, As he came forth out of his mom's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. You know, there's that old saying, you never see a U-Haul following a hearse, because you can't take what you accumulated in this life with you into eternity. And that's what Solomon is saying here. He's saying, naked we came into the world, and naked we're going to go out. And nothing that we've acquired during our long life is going to have any benefit in heaven, other than what we do for God. Jeremiah, chapter 17, verse 11. This is giving the example of a partridge. Sometimes the partridge will leave the nest, and the eggs will die. Perhaps they got cold in a spring frost. While the partridge is looking for the food, it will come back, and those eggs are already dead. But the partridge doesn't know. So it's going to sit and nest on those dead eggs. Jeremiah is using this as an example. As the partridge sits on eggs and hatches them not, so he that gets riches and not by right shall leave them in the midst of his days, and at his end shall be a fool. Just like that partridge cannot hatch those dead eggs, all of the wealth that this rich man has accumulated will benefit him nothing in eternity. That's really a, a very clear picture from Jeremiah. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. God says, don't put your focus on material things. You can't take any of it with you. That's a certainty. What he's saying is, godliness with contentment is truly great gain and wealth. So as we serve the Lord with a godly attitude mindset, and we're content, Paul wrote, I have learned to be content in whatsoever state I am. If we're young, we should be content. When we're old, we should be content. If we're hungry, we should be content. When our bellies are full, we should be content. God is saying, godliness with contentment is great gain. Whatever state we're in, whatever mindset we have, if it's looking upon God and we're content, he's giving us rewards in heaven. Can God lie? No. All men are liars, but God is true. So what he's saying in these verses, these are promises to us Christians. God is good. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, 10 verses down. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. So God is saying, charge them, teach them, tell them, these rich people, don't trust in your money, but trust in the living God. There's only one living God, and that's Jehovah, Jesus, the Messiah, the King. Buddha's not God. The popes aren't God. Muhammad's not God. None of these false religion cults who they look to, those are all idols. 
Only Jesus is the living God. And that's who we look to. Luke 12, 21. This is Jesus finishing this parable. So he that lays up treasure for himself is not rich toward God. If you're taking all of your efforts and focusing them upon you and not upon God, God is saying you're not rich toward me. See, what God gives us, we need to be good stewards. And as stewards, you need to employ that asset. And we need to employ that asset, whatever that might be, our health, our intelligence, our personality, whatever gifts God gives us. Sometimes it's money. We should be using that for his kingdom. Matthew 6.24, no man can serve two masters. That's pretty clear. See, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. A man cannot serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve Jesus and money. You better pick and choose, because you can't do both. God doesn't want us to serve money, because if we do that, we're acting foolishly. That's the whole point of this parable. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Only God has the keys to death and hell. God chooses the instance and the time of our death. And God chooses how that death will happen. Because it's appointed on man whence to die. So God chooses the time and the hour, the specific moment. But also God controls where the soul goes. If somebody's not saved, they cannot get into the kingdom. Because that door is closed. Just as if God sends a soul into hell, the unbeliever into hell, they cannot get out of hell. Because God has the keys to death and hell. He decides when we die and where we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making rich. Making many rich. As having nothing, and yet possessing all things. In the life that God gives us as Christians, many times we're sorrowful, but we should be rejoicing because of heaven. Sometimes we're poor, but we're rich because of our eternal rewards. And sometimes we have nothing on the earth, it seems. Especially when I talk to people at the Salvation Army that are Christians. Many of those people, they have so little of material possessions in this life. And yet, if they're truly a Christian, they possess all things because they possess eternal life. Jesus said we're joint heirs with Christ. Joint means we get to share in eternity all of heaven. So this verse is saying, on earth we have nothing, but in heaven we possess all things. Praise God for his goodness. And James, chapter 2, verse 5, this is the last verse for today. Hearken, hearken means listen up, pay attention. My beloved brethren, 
Has not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to them that love him? So James is pointing out, has not God chosen the poor? Many times the poor, the down, the destitute are the ones he brings, he chooses to bring into the kingdom. And that doesn't make sense from a worldly point of view. And yet God's wisdom confounds the wisdom of the world. And he's saying, has not God chosen the poor of this world, but rich in faith? Faith is how you get into heaven. For by grace are you saved through faith, and then not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. And it says, and heirs of the kingdom. That man at the beginning of this story, he wanted Jesus to go talk to his brother because he wanted more material wealth on the earth. God is saying, Christians are heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to them that love him. Do you love Jesus today? Are you truly saved? Are you in the kingdom? Are you working for the world? Or are you working for his eternal glory? Because soon and very soon, every one of us in this room, we're going to meet with God. Then we have to stand before him and give an account. God will wipe away all tears. So there will be things in our life that we're ashamed of. And we're going to lose some eternal rewards. But God is good. Heaven is forever. My encouragement to you this week, I think most of us in this room, we are Christians. Let's look to see how we can serve God this week. Maybe it's just having a happy face and a good attitude. Perhaps it's praying for somebody. One of my friends called me this week, and his wife fell on Friday and broke her hip. So she had surgery last evening. Her name is Phoebe, if you remember her this week. I'm sure she's going to be in a lot of pain this week because they had to put titanium screws to fix her hip in the surgery. There are many ways we can serve God's kingdom, and perhaps the most fruitful way is to pray to God to save souls. The fields are white unto harvest, but the laborers are few. Let's work for God and his kingdom this week as he gives us opportunity. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this parable of the rich man and Lord that our focus as Christians is not upon material things, Lord, but that we would look into eternal heavenly things, spiritual things, things that you value that are upright and righteous and godly for your kingdom. And Lord, give us opportunities this week to serve you in your kingdom. And Lord, many of us have lost relatives and friends. Bring them to our minds and our hearts as we do devotions and prayers this week. And perhaps we can even talk to them personally. And Lord, give us grace in our mind and our tongue to be able to talk to them in a godly way. Lord, that allows them to see their need for you in the spiritual kingdom. And Lord, we ask all of this in your name, Jesus, the name above all names. And we love you, God. Amen. So you are dismissed. Thank you.